Introducing The Sound of Design with Mark and Dan, the podcast that takes you on an exhilarating journey through the captivating realm of custom technology. Join us as we unveil the sensational tales of Nashville's very own dynamic duo of AV designers. Don't miss out on this thrilling auditory expedition into the mesmerizing world of custom technology. So welcome to The Sound of Design with Mark and Dan. And uh, well done, sir. Uh, we are starting to Thank get into a, a rhythm here. Yeah. Yeah, finally. You know, is... We're both musicians. Do you think we'd get some sort of rhythm going at some point? The timing is, is something that you know, we, have to, we have to work on. So practice makes yes. perfect. Yes. <laughs> As my uh, band director used to say, repetition is our friend, our friend, our friend, our friend, our friend. <laughs> Oh, that's anyway. gonna stay in now. You you know yep. I have to. I have to <laughs> we gotta leave that in there. Yep. So, I'm very excited today. We're gonna talk about custom theaters. Uh, we're gonna talk a lot about all of the different parts that make up uh, a room. You know, we'll talk about projectors. We'll talk about screens. We'll talk about different types of surround sound. We're going to talk a lot about, you know, acoustics, lighting, and, you know, share some really awesome stories. So there's going to be a ton of stuff that we're going to get to. The The thing that I want to start with, though, before we get into all that stuff, is what is a home theater? So, Mark, why don't you take it away? Just define what is a home theater. All right. What is a home theater? Uh, so a lot of folks think home theater and immediately imagine this you know, decked out custom room that's going to have tray ceilings with all these different lights and theater seats and a projector hanging down. And and realistically, you know, in our line of work nowadays, that, yes, that is a home theater. But in my opinion, it, it's pretty much anywhere that you're going to use audio and video that you, you know, utilize on a regular basis to, you know, absorb your content, whatever that may be, especially if it's film. Um, yep. you know, you can, you can get on a soapbox and say, oh no, you, in order to be a home theater, you've got to have all that stuff. But realistically, I mean, you know, my bedroom can be a home theater, right? I've got audio, I've got video since the pandemic, my wife and I, we spend more time there in the evenings when we want to watch something cause we're tired and we want to chill out and watch something before we fall asleep. So, you Absolutely. know, that's, uh, and, and, and that's. That, in my opinion, defines, you know, a theater space. What about you? What do you think? Uh, I agree a thousand percent. It's anywhere where you watch something at home. I, I mean, <laughs> it used to be, you know, to give it a historical perspective that you'd have to go, you know, to the pictures. And it used to be projectors only. And there was a long time where going to the movies was the thing to do. And I think you touched on it since the pandemic, that has really shifted. And so I think we have to really start to adjust our concept and our idea of what it means to watch a movie at home. And I think as more and more people have shifted, you know, work from home and, and our lives have really become more and more home-based, I think it's important to say, listen, if it's not a dedicated space... That's okay. It can be your living room. It can be your bedroom. It can be wherever you want to enjoy it. So uh, I agree with you a thousand percent. So uh, that being said, let's say that you have a bonus room or a room 
that you want to do a big screen and you do want to get a little bit of the movie theater style experience, uh, the first thing that most people are going to talk about is, do I do a TV or do I do a projector? So how would you approach that? Yeah. Um, first is kind of discussing budget, right? Um, because if you want to do a projector, you're going to get a lot more screen for your money. However, we need to talk about other things that are kind of on our laundry list to talk about, like lighting control, shades, things that are going to allow us to control the light in that space. Not entirely. We'll get into that in a minute. But allow you to control it enough to where you can get a cinematic experience out of a projector screen. If this is a space that has a ton of windows in it and you're not looking at putting blackout shades or controlling the light in that space, you want to be able to watch it with all the windows open, then a television might be your better solution. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with you in the thought process. It starts a little bit with budget. And to me, there's kind of this threshold. There's this point at which you start to see some real diminishing returns. And that's about mm -hmm. an 85-inch television, uh, with some exceptions, obviously. But an 85-inch, 83-inch OLED you know, those TVs are going to be four, five, six thousand dollars A projector, you're going to have to have a projector. You're going to have to have a screen. And so if you're going to go into that world, you know, an HD projector starts around two grand. And a screen's going to start around 1500 bucks to two grand. And so you start looking at the math and you say, well, that's kind of our threshold. Anything over 4000 right, or bigger than 85 we're probably going to go projector. And if we're going to be less than 4000 then we should probably look at a TV and, and, and kind of go that direction. Right, right. You, you mentioned the light in the room. What type of screen material would you go with that enables you to have a lot of light in the room as opposed to the traditional theater concept that's very dark? Yeah, you'll see the term thrown around a lot as ALR, just going to stand for ambient light rejecting material. So what that means is that depending on the capabilities of the specific screen you choose, it's going to reject light from specific directions around the screen itself. So one of our go-to screens has an ambient light rejection percentage of about 65%, meaning from a certain angle or 65% of the ambient light coming from that direction. And it's essentially that way all around the screen. So from the top, the bottom, left and right, and it's going to reject that light, but also reflect the light from your projector back into that viewing area. Um, so you're getting better reflectivity out of your projector itself while rejecting the ambient light in the room meaning you can have those sconces on, or maybe you've got a window that's 10, 15 feet away to the left or right-hand side, and you don't necessarily want to close it, you can do that and still get an incredible experience out of that projector. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm really glad you said it that way, too, which is that it's both rejecting and reflecting. You know, we did uh, best practices, one of our vendors who does uh, projectors. And I will never forget this demo that they did. They walk in and they go, uh, who here likes to watch a projector? 
and everybody raises their hand. They say, great, come stand at the front of the room and go look at that light bulb and tell me if you like watching your projector. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you don't watch a projector, you watch a screen, right? Like, and that's, that's what it is. And that screen is a mirror. If it's going to reflect well, okay, and it's going to reject well, then you're going to have a great image. And if you're not willing to, and that's part of what screen gain, I think, was all about. Uh, not to go too deep dive here, but if you have a screen gain of 1.2 and you shoot a thousand lumens off of your projector, you're going to get 1,200 lumens bounced back to the seating location. So right. when you really think about how that room is going to be, the screen becomes part of the system. So you have the light source, you have the room itself, and then you have the screen. Well, uh, as, as long as we're here, uh, why don't we uh, talk about the newest thing, trend in projectors, which is short throw. Have you done historically any short throw projectors? And yes. have you done any of the new ones? <laughs> yes, uh, both, both on both accounts. Uh, so you have short throw, which has been around a little bit of time. You know, essentially your traditional projector, but it had a different lens on it and you could place it closer to the wall and be able to project a, you know, 150 inch or 120 inch image off of a, what you would think of as a traditional projector. Now we have these USTs or ultra short throw projectors, which are designed to sit in the front of the room directly underneath the screen and project straight up onto the screen itself. Uh, notice I said screen and not wall. I'm going to get to that in a second. So we discussed <laughs> we discussed we discussed ambient light rejection screens a moment ago. The best performance that you're going to get out of a UST projector is by having a screen that's going to reflect light from that specific angle below the screen and reject all of the other light in the room, meaning even rejecting light where you would think it would come from a normal projector. This way, mm. you can get that television-like experience but have it in 120 inches. You asked if I had done one. One of the, the first ones I did wasn't even a client of mine originally. Now he's, you know, he's, I'm the only one he deals with. It's been uh, six years now. I, sh I showed him a photo of this. I had his original salesperson show it. And he was like, oh, I got to have this. And he, his room is a room above a garage, a bonus room, if you will, uh, and open to his downstairs and living space to the right, giant window to the left, and two giant windows behind him. Wow. That's a lot of light. It is. What we did was, you know, we don't really do anything from the right-hand side other than we just dim some of the lighting there. But from the left and the rear, we added blackout shades. So when he wanted to get that TV experience, you know, he could just lower those shades. He doesn't even have to lower them all the way. He just has to get it to where the sun isn't shining through the window. And the room's still pretty well lit, but he gets that cinematic experience out of that uh, projector. That's awesome. That is awesome. Well, and with that style and them becoming a lot more popular, these ultra short throw projectors, as long as you do the right screen material and you really do think through the light in the room, then you're looking at getting a 110, 120, 130 inch screen at a fraction of the cost of what it would be for a television. And I'm reminded mm -hmm. when we first started, I think it was Vizio made. 120 inch television that was i want to say a hundred and fifty thousand dollars or some astronomical yep. number right <laughs> and you're going like i mean i like tv but i do i need to pay for a college education 
for <laughs> television just to to get this one piece in one place and so you look at an ultra short throw projector and a screen and even if you come in under 10,000 it's unbelievably uh, a better uh, financial proposition so that's one of the reasons I think uh, that everybody goes to it so we've kind of talked a lot about the video side uh, the next main component is going to be audio mm -hmm. what is some of the things to consider for audio when you're designing a, a home theater sure sure so kind of going back to where we started with what is a home theater you know we mentioned audio but we didn't say 50 channels, right? We didn't say 50 speakers around the room. Right. <laughs> and there's a reason why. And, and I know you and I have both done this. And so you, you have two speakers left and right. So you're getting the full range out of those two speakers. And they were a premium set of speakers. So they weren't, yep. you know, your run-of-the-mill bookshelf that you buy from the, a store floor. It's, you know, a premium set of speakers. But that's kind of where it starts. So you have a 2.0 or 2.1, which is two speakers and maybe a sub, right? Nice. The most traditional surround sound that you'll hear would be a 5.1, which has been since the mid-90s. My parents bought a 5.1 Dolby ProLogic surround sound system that was awesome. I remember when uh, the first Star Wars prequel came out and I was blown away. You know, Jar Jar Binks being our favorite character, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> no, but favorite honestly, it, it, yeah, it, yeah, favorite character, right? Uh, he was really a Sith, but they cut it out. Anyway, there you go. But that was your most traditional. Everything above that just builds off of that surround sound design. So 5.1 would be a left, a right, and a center, and then two rear speakers of some form or fashion. Above that, and what I recommend 99% of the time now, is what's called Dolby Atmos, which is a kind of 3D surround sound. And I, I think you best describe this when we were talking about it to a client, I mean, it, how would you describe Atmos? It is a three-dimensional approach to audio where speakers work in tandem with each other. So when you're describing that 5.1, that left, the center, the right, and the two speakers in the back, typically those are all on what's called the horizontal axis. So if you're sitting down, those speakers are ideally placed at ear level, okay, and 30 degrees to the left, you know, center is dead center, 30 degrees to the right, and then 120 degrees on either side in the rear. Well, Dolby Atmos adds two or four speakers into the ceiling and faces them straight down. And so what you have now, instead of just the horizontal axis, you have a vertical axis. So when a traditional uh, sound designer or mixer has the opportunity to make a surround sound game or movie or TV show or whatever it is, and let's say it's a jungle, they're going to record the sound of Dragonfly, and they're going to shoot that sound to the right speaker. And then they'll shoot it over to the middle speaker, and then they'll shoot it over to the left speaker, and then they'll shoot it to the back speaker, and you get this sound that sort of pans or moves throughout the space. It's pretty cool. When you do a Dolby Atmos or DTSX format, what they do instead is they have spatial audio. So there's a digital representation of the room and they draw in a path in the room and they'll say, all right, that sound effects goes uh, for, let's say, 20 seconds. And so let's have the dragonfly zip around and this 
vertical speaker and the horizontal speaker now sync and they work together in order to create this sound moving in unison throughout the space. Uh, so it's just a totally different approach uh, to the way that you would design uh, a system. And, and when you listen to it, a, a true properly done Dolby Atmos system, you are completely immersed. You're in the jungle. Like that dragonfly flies by your nose and you go, oh my goodness. <laughs> like it's an incredible, incredible surround sound format. Yeah, I, I remember the first time hearing it and this is like in 2011, 2012, uh, as far as like consumer capable okay. systems, right? Uh, you didn't have to have a $5,000 processor with a, you know, with 13 channels of amplification, you, you could buy it off of the shelf. Uh, and now every receiver can do it. So yep. that's why I'm saying recommend it as often as you can, because the receiver you buy, unless it's just, hey, I'm on a super budget and I, I want to I, I can only spend a few hundred bucks. Anything above the entry level receiver is going to do it. Absolutely. And being able to, to hear that, I was going to say the first time I listened to it, it was a, you know, a demo disc from Dolby or something like that but they had this simulated rain on a tin roof sound. Okay. You know, you would sit there in the room and it would start raining and you'd hear it go from that, you know, kind of ear level. And then all of a sudden it was like, I was sitting on my back porch with a tin roof above me, just like I did when I grew up. Cause that's what we had. We had a screen porch on our back, uh, on the back side of our house with a tin roof on it. And it took me right there. And it's, it, it was just a incredible experience that, they were able to create simply just by placing sound using all the speakers. So yeah, I think we've, we've gone pretty far into that, but it's definitely something if you're not wired for it when you're building a home or you're retroing a room, it definitely needs to be discussed. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't require a perfect placement either. And so there's a lot of room calibration that is built into these receivers. And so if you're off by a few degrees or you're off by a few feet even, to be quite honest, is it ideal? No, but that's okay. It's your home. It's not a movie theater and it's not a studio. So don't look at it like it has to be, you know, perfect placement in order to get that experience. Does it help? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. There's less processing involved and so on and so forth. But does it mean that for your home that it has to be like a studio? No. Let your home be your home. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so to that end, there's there's going to be a receiver. We know that, right? And mm -hmm. there's going to be speakers. There's going to be a projector or a TV or something along those lines. What else uh, do you have to consider from a sound perspective if you had, let's say, a larger room or uh, maybe a coffered ceiling or something along those lines? What else could you do to help improve the sound? So I know that we don't have video going yet, which we're working on, by the way, y'all. Uh, but if you could see Dan right now, he has several uh, acoustic panels around his room where he's recording in. And that's definitely important in a space if you're wanting to get better sound. What acoustic panels allow you to do is dampen the room to where you have less sound reflection points. So if you've ever been in a, a gymnasium, that's the best way to, that I can yep. describe it. And you've Anything that happens in that gymnasium, I don't care if it's a three-year-old kid stomping because he wants an ice cream or a basketball bouncing on it 
you're going to hear it no matter where it is in that space all the way across the room. That's because you have so many reflection points from that hard surface of the floor to the ceiling to usually bleachers of some sort that are just a hard squared reflection points. And that means it's going to reflect back into your ears, which is why you hear that sound three or four times when you hear it. It sounds like it's echoing. So what acoustic treatments allow you to do is eliminate that in your listening space. Does that mean you have to have, you know, a recording studio full of uh, acoustic panels in your home? Absolutely not. But having just a few, you know, on a back wall or on a side wall next to your speakers to eliminate even that first reflection point is going to make a huge difference in the way you hear your system. To take it out of the movie theater experience for a split second, we did a, a job for an executive you know, she wanted to put a TV in her office, and so we walk in, and as soon as I closed the door uh, behind us, I realized how quiet it was, and it made the entire space comfortable. It was amazing, and, and I looked around, and I didn't really see some acoustic panel or something along those lines that was on the walls, and I sort of realized, oh, they put up a material behind some of those other things, and uh, it just deadened the room a little bit. It reduced some of those uh, reflections, but it made it very, 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 very comfortable. And you can get pretty creative too. So there is uh, an acoustic vendor that we have that does what's called acoustic wall art. So if you've thought about it from a design perspective and you say, you know, we're going to do maybe a dedicated room that's going to be just for movies. And I want to have a picture of popcorn or I want to have a picture of a projector, or I want to have a picture of a movie reel, or something along those lines, and I want to create that type of an experience, then why wouldn't I go into an acoustic material behind that picture instead of just putting the picture up? And now I can absorb that reflection in order to give you that sound. And then the ultimate expression of that, I think, is the Starfield ceiling, right? It's acoustically uh, absorptive material with LED lights in it. So it looks like the night sky above you, which is incredible. And absolutely. I, I know you've done at least two or three of them. When mm-hmm. you walk into that space, it's like, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I, I'm transformed. <laughs> uh, I'm, it's, it's, <laughs> it is all about the experience, right? You've probably heard us say that word a lot, but it is. It's transformative. That's a incredible way to describe it. But one of them that I did was in a uh, new garage, and this is like this party room that they built above the entire garage, and it had a dedicated theater as half of it. The other half was a literal like hangout space. They had musical instruments that you that were just hanging on the walls that you could just pull down and play. You had a bar. They had a whole wall of all of their vinyl records that both of them, the husband and wife, had grown up on, and music that they had concerts they had went to together for specific artists. So a lot of reflection points, a lot of hard surfaces. As soon as you walk into their, you open these doors, it was a black room with the star ceiling above it. So you mentioned that the star ceiling having that, those acoustic uh, absorption properties. Think of your ceiling. It's a flat surface across the entire top of the room. Yep. You know, if you can cover that entire space, you just dampened your room by, you know, 
not 50%, but you, you took a, a substantial portion of hard surfaces yeah, 20, and reflection 20 to 30% points. probably. Sure. And it looks cool, and you can add constellations or shooting stars. Oh, my goodness. It's that's super awesome. cool. It's super cool. <laughs> and, and that kind of takes us into the next part of that, which is uh, the lighting. And I know we've seen all those pictures of traditional sconces and, you know, things like that. But honestly, you know, I've seen more now people doing LED strip lighting behind their screens than I've ever seen before. And it just creates this kind of glow. I mean, there's no other way to say it. It just glows behind the screen and it creates an ambiance and it changes the mood of the entire space. And that's not a crazy expensive upgrade. I mean, you're talking maybe a couple hundred dollars, a few hundred dollars to get strip lighting behind a television. So you don't have to go crazy in order to create a very, very large impact. When you backlight the image with a warm white or cool white light, and even some blues, depending on what your eye likes, you essentially trick your eyes into seeing more contrast because you have a backlight behind your image. So that's usually where we start talking about lighting control because if we're putting in a projector screen, nine times out of 10, we're doing a screen that has that LED strip already put in. Past that, then we start talking about other things are going to accent that space. I know you just recently did that arcade project where uh, you did... Um, yeah, two tiers. Yeah, two tiers of LED light strips with diffusers that we installed around the, the room. And it was pretty sweet. Uh, I've shown that photo to folks for theater rooms pretty much ever since you sent it to me. So now, not only are we creating a better image, but we've now created a different mood in the space by adding those accent light strips. And that's typically on top of your traditional lighting that's already in the room. Can lights, sconces, something along those lines. But those don't have to be left out either. We can do controllable bulbs, or we can do typically controllable switches, dimmers, things like that. Uh, with a keypad. So when we walk into that theater space, we can have a keypad that that says movie time. And when you do that, it turns your bias light on behind the screen. It dims your can lights off. It turns your sconces down to 30%. And it turns those accent lights on to whatever color that you chose. And it usually integrates with a control system. So you can have it turn on your favorite media player, whatever that is, at the same time. Yeah, and I'm glad you said it that way, which is that it's, part of the control system that makes all of those things possible. And this happens all the time, and I'm sure you've seen this. Uh, you go into a room, and there's a basket, a wicker basket sitting somewhere, <laughs> and there's like seven mm -hmm. or eight remotes. And yep. it's like, okay, well, then we need to figure out a way to kind of move beyond that. And in the current landscape, control systems, really home automation systems, are the only players really left in that space. I mean, I remember three or four years ago, even, we had Harmony Logitech remotes, and you've got, you know, two or three different variations of all-in-ones that you could use and you could get. And unfortunately, we've just sort of seen a lot of people just leave the do-it-yourself market for some of that. And so the only folks who are really left doing anything even remotely close to that is your Savants or your Control 4s or your Crestrons. And these control systems, you know, although not inexpensive, do have that unique purpose, right? You can put a host in a room and wire that directly to all of your individual components, and they're going to be network-based. 
so they can talk to your networked devices. They have the ability to go cross-purposes, which means that you're no longer just talking about a remote control. When you really get down to it, you're not just pressing a button on a remote to turn on an individual device. You're actually triggering a sequence of events, right, which needs to be programmed. The adjustment of the lights and the turning on of the projector and the turning on the receiver and and all of those things go back to that control system. Because let's be honest, if it's hard to use, you're not going to use it. <laughs> right. Like, And then it's just a it's it, it's a waste of money because you're like, well, I mean, that's nice. But, you know, if it's too much of an inconvenience, then sorry like we're just we're if i have to walk up six flights of stairs you know ask me how many times i'm gonna go up there to watch a movie like it's gonna be never <laughs> like it's just, exactly it's just not gonna happen so let me ask you this mark uh what's the coolest theater that you have ever designed <laughs> Woo! Uh, you remember my friend uh, earlier we were talking about with the ultra short throw projector? Yeah, from, um, from a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that theater has gone through several different design changes over the course of its, call it uh, 2015, 2016 is when we really started working with them till now. It went from, you know, a basic set of speakers that were builder grade when we first met with them to now we have reference series kef and wall speakers their ci 5160 thx series speakers wow uh, we have five of those at ear level we have four of the uh in ceiling smaller versions installed and we have nine macintosh mc 611 monoblock amplifiers one for each of those speakers <laughs> um, so i'm gonna you know i'm gonna pause <laughs> right there um so what you just said is nine Macintosh monoblocks. Uh, we just need everyone to stop what they're doing and just go look up what a Macintosh monoblock is and then realize that that is the most ludicrous statement that has been uttered this week by any human being, <laughs> to be quite honest. <laughs> uh, that is awesome. That is absolutely phenomenal. All right, keep going. Yeah, okay. So... Um... <laughs> Uh, there are four SVS PB16 Ultras oh that are goodness. in this room. Yes. Uh, the biggest update that we did outside of the processor to one of the new Marantz, uh, I think the AV10 or whatever it is, the new processor from sure. from Marantz, The he actually went from a the ultra short throw projector to the 1025ES Sony. That's like $40,000 projector. Oh my in goodness. In this room above his garage and, you know, a, a more quaint, neighborhood here in uh franklin and i mean it's it's a you know, we're well past three hundred thousand dollars to put into this theater at this point and it's just a it's really just a hangout room we don't have any special seats we have some you know audio uh, acoustic panels you know on the back wall we have some shades that control the light and he's got keypads with savant lighting and light bulbs in the in the room that is a but that's an experience <laughs> That is, that is, that is, is. that's the whole point is I'm sure when you walk in, it's probably unlike anything else that you'll ever experience. It is. And so when he bought the, the new projector, the big thing that he was excited about was the IMAX enhanced functionality 
uh, where, you know, where they started adding yep. that to some of your, your physical and digital media. And I bought an IMAX enhanced disc immediately. I was like, I'm, I've got to have this. I'm going to bring it over here. That's what we're going to demo it with. And it's the, it's the, it's the space shuttle. It's all about like the space station and the space shuttle and yes, things like that. It's a awesome. NASA documentary that that projector is the best image I've ever seen. The audio still makes the experience when the space shuttle takes off for the first time and the literal floor is shaking because <laughs> you know the space shuttle taking off it, it you would think you open up the window and you see the space shuttle taking off right outside but it it is to this day my one of my favorite projects and he invites folks in all the time clients of mine colleagues i know you haven't gone there yet but he tells he wants everybody to come and and see his wonderful theater as he calls it yeah well, that's awesome. And I'm sure it's probably very clean and very detailed at low-level volume, too. So those amplifiers are phenomenal at every single every single volume level. So you probably don't even have to turn it up very loud to get amazing sound. <laughs> no, no, you really don't. That's the other thing. I know I mentioned it opens up to his living room, and the garage is, that floor is kind of halfway between the second floor and first floor of his home. So you step up like five stairs, and you're in the on the floor of the theater bonus room space and then you make a ue and you go up the stairs to the his son's bedrooms and his wife's you know their bedrooms and whatnot he can watch that thing at 10 o'clock at night and have it at 30 percent volume and you can hear everything that someone's saying and all the big booms and rumbles are gone but you still feel it right you you can still hear it it still fills the space which is why we have the four subwoofers in the space yeah well and i'm glad you mentioned that too because it's the one part of audio that we didn't mention uh, really in depth, and that is that to really do a proper system. And if you're going to really go for the movie theater experience, then you need subs for each one of the channels that are going to be produced. And uh, I remember being at a demo down in Florida, and it was by one of our subwoofer vendors. And the demo was of a person closing a car door. And you think, like, this is a bunch of, you know, home theater enthusiasts and people who really love, you know, explosions and lasers and all this other kind of stuff. And they're like, no, no, no. Watch the difference that having a sub on the center channel makes. And when the door closes and the pressure in the room changed, you go, oh, I can hear everything. And when you go to a traditional movie theater, their center channel is how many different tweeters and how many many different mid-range drivers and low mid drivers and powered subs. And so you're going to get that when you're at the movies. That's why it sounds the way that it does. So you got to have bass in order to help bring that experience and help pressurize that room and make that space really come alive. So you get the impact of whatever it is that you're watching. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, I think we've done more than enough to give ourselves an overview as to uh, custom theaters and movie theaters uh, in the home at all sorts of different levels. And so I would like to say thank you very much for listening to The Sound of Design with Mark and Dan. Uh, remember, always work with your designer or uh, with your integrator so that way they can really design the space with you. And uh, drop us a line. Let us know uh, what you want to hear us talk about next. Thank you. Thank you.